Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. There's a new book. It's out in stores right now, written by Gilman Jeffers. It's called The Christmas Rabbit. And I'm really happy that Gilman's sitting right here with me now to tell me all about it. Gilman, welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable. Thank you for being here. Pleasure to be here, sir, and an honor. Thank you. Well, it's great to have you. Gilman, what can readers expect in The Christmas Rabbit? <laughs> well, it's an adult fairy tale about the commercialization of Christmas and Easter. Because it is a fairy tale, it is littered with characters that we'll all remember from our childhood. Red Riding Hood, the Easter Bunny, Santa Claus, the old woman who lives in the shoe, Jack and the Beanstalk, and a few others. How did you get sparked to write this? What gave you the idea? <laughs> well, I'll tell you. Many years ago, when I was living with my significant other, we had a rabbit, and her name was Flopsy. And at the time, we were living in Florida next to a wildlife preserve called Bivens Arm. And this wildlife preserve was basically a lake, and it was chock full of alligators. And I used to let my rabbit run out in the backyard and run around. One Easter, my significant other went home to see her family, and I was alone. I had the rabbit, and I just let it out running around. And this alligator came charging out of the water and almost got her. Oh my and I was thinking to myself, because it was Easter, Thank God she's not the Easter Bunny. <laughs> and that was the germinating seed for the story. Hmm. Did this book take you a long time to write and then get published? Actually, it did. I had some interest when I first started it. It was originally supposed to be for the significant other that I thought I was going to marry. It was going to be a wedding present. And I had a publisher looking at it, and they said, you should probably write something else first because you're going to step on a lot of sacred cows. Mm. But I was something that I couldn't put away. Unfortunately, the woman I thought was going to be my wife, that didn't work out between us. So it kind of got set aside. And every time I tried to revisit it, I was always thinking about her. So it took me a long time to get her out of my system before I could go back to the book and actually finish it. Mm. So you have written before this, Gilman. What does your writing background look like? Mostly short stories in minor publications. I've never published anything major like this before. This is a first-time effort for me in regards with that. And I am very thankful to the people at Newman Springs that they saw enough interest in this that they thought it was worth their while to go ahead with it. It's taken me a long time to write. I hope it is funny, as well as being a satire on the commercialization of Christmas and Easter. It is also, hopefully, a critique on racism and stereotyping. I hope I made those points well. We will see. We'll have to let the reader judge that. Do you think there will be more books after this? Oh, absolutely. I am working, actually, it's finished. I had written them, actually, on a, an old version of Word Perfect. Oh, wow. Which doesn't translate to anything in the modern world anymore. So I'm retyping them now in, in Microsoft Word, and I hope to get it out to Newman Springs within a couple of months. And I am also working on a satire on nature of evil, as seen through the eyes of Dracula. I want to do a satire on Dracula. I think he's funny. Hmm. 
I'm sure you learned a lot along the way of writing and publishing for the first time, Gilman. So what words of advice would you have to those listening right now who are also about to embark on that same journey? Never give up. We all are faced with self-doubt. We look at some of the stuff we write and we say, this is trash and I'm no good. And you just have to get beyond that. You just have to keep plugging away. And if you're true to yourself, the truth will come out in what you write. Mm. It may not be everybody's truth, but that doesn't matter. All that matters is that it's your truth. Let the reader think of it what they will. You're not writing for them anyway, really. You're writing for yourself because it's something inside of you that just has to get out. And sometimes when you're writing, it gets tough. You might hit writer's block, or maybe you just get stuck for ideas. So, Gilman, what do you do when you face these tough writing challenges? I pray, first off. Then I either grab my fishing pole and go out fishing, or I grab my crossbow and I go out hunting, depending upon what the season is. Something comes up. I know a lot of readers are really going to love this book and should check it out. The title is The Christmas Rabbit. It's written by Gilman Jeffers, and it's published by Newman Springs Publishing. Of course, you can pick this one up everywhere, like Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and iTunes and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Gilman, thank you again for joining me and telling me all about your work. I hope we get to talk again sometime. I hope so, too, Corey. Maybe on the next book. Sitting down right beside me now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Esther Jones. Esther, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here with me tonight. Great to be here. It's exciting. You have a new book in stores right now. It's titled Exploring the Roots of Missions, Personal, Biblical, and Spiritual. This is the Missions in a Coconut Shell Book One. Esther, can you tell me a little bit about what readers are in store for here? Yeah, this book is a story about how God works through missions through the different roots. We've got Route One, which is the five W's, the who, what, where, which, and how, exploring about where it's done who does it, the different modes of evangelism, chain making. And then we go into the second route, which is the biblical theology missions, going from the Old and New Testaments. The third route is my story and how I got involved in missions. The fourth route is discerning biblical calls and the preparation of missions work. And the final route is spiritual warfare, which is the armor that we all need to fight the lies of the enemy and right to proclaim God's kingdom. Hmm. Esther, is this a book you wrote primarily for missionaries to read? No, I wouldn't say it's for missionaries. It would be for missionary students. We now call international workers in many places. It could be also for people who pray on behalf of those working in the mission field because you need to know what they're going up against. You need to know what kind of things are involved in getting people to go and to stand behind them in prayer. And so I think this kind of thing would also be helpful in that because sometimes you don't know until you hear the stories and people come back and say, this is what it's like. Esther, can you tell me about how this book came about? What sparked you to write it? I was on my uh, first missions trip to Korea working in a denominational office, and uh, I was supposed to teach on missions, only they didn't have a lot of English resources. This is back in 1995, so I had to do some research. And so I ended up borrowing some books. This is free online stuff, so it was a lot of research through books mostly. And this is what kind of came out, or part of this is what came out. It was 100 pages, the first project, and so it has grown since then and uh, evolved into other more in-depth. Did this book take you a long time to write and publish and get all put together? 
Well, I started running it in 95. I added more things in 2002 on a second trip to Korea, actually teaching in a university. I was a teacher technician course there. And then later on, I added some more in 2007. Actually, it morphed into four books because one book would have been too long. I actually also edited it as well for the final revision, setting it up for publication. So you could say it took a while. And prior to doing this, have you ever written or published? I did a few smaller things. I got a poem published in my high school yearbook. I put a story online with storyhouse.org. I did devotionals for my church two years running. I did three or four each year. And then I also had a little thing I put into Reader's Digest back in 2008. So it's just a little bits and pieces here and there. Hmm. So this book was a long time in the making, Esther. What was it like when you finally got the first hard copy and you got to hold it in your hands and look at it for that first time? It was just kind of unbelievable because I, I saw this book with this beautiful cover and I went, there's my name on the front and here we are at last. And I'm sure you learned an awful lot along the way of doing this, Esther. What advice would you have now to authors who are aspiring who are just starting out as well? Be prepared to outline what you write. Reorganize and rewrite as often as you need to. A good book is not written in a hurry. And be patient with the process once you do start the publishing with the editors because it just takes much, much longer than you think. Mm-hmm. Esther, when you go to write, do you find that you have a certain routine to it? Do you like to write maybe a certain time of day, maybe at night or in the morning? Maybe you have a certain room or a place that you like to go to? Or rather, do you find yourself sitting and writing as the ideas and the time is coming? Generally, I sit and write in the living room. I've got my corner there with my laptop, and that's where I go. But often, if I get an idea when I'm out walking, as soon as I get in, I'll start writing. And I can write any time, but morning is usually the best. That's when the brain is working the best. So that's when I write, and I do a lot of praying as I write to make sure I'm doing it as best a way as possible. Well, if you want to get deeper into the roots of missions and mission work, then check this book out. It's titled Exploring the Roots of Missions, Personal, Biblical, and Spiritual, Missions in a Coconut Shell, Book One. This is written by Esther Jones, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find it everywhere, like at Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Esther, thank you again for sitting down with me here tonight at the show and telling me about your work, and I hope we get to talk again soon. Thank you so much. It's been great. There's a gutsy new book out in stores right now written by Charles Cluxon, and the title is just that, Gutsy. I'm really happy that Charles is right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable, and we're going to chat all about it. Charles, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here with me. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Can you tell me all about Gutsy? What are readers in store for here? Well, the readers are in store for quite a bumpy ride. It's, it's a cute little story. It's about a young cub who takes on an evil villainous professor, and he finds that he's building something. It's, it's a machine. And he's very concerned, so he takes it upon himself to find out all about what this professor's doing and so on and so forth. And one thing leads to another, and, well, the readers are just going to have to find out what happens. Mm. And what kinds of readers did you write Gutsy for? Basically, it's for all readers. I mean, I wanted it to be a children's story between the ages of 2 to 12, but I've had adults reading it, and the reviews from them have been quite exceptional. They love it. Now, can you tell me about how this book came about? What sparked you to write the story and then publish it? Actually, it came to me in a dream. Hmm. 
I had this really weird dream, and I can remember every detail. I'm like, I could turn this into a book. I'm like, I think I'm going to do just that. But I'm like, I could either turn it to a horror story, or I thought I'd turn it to a children's book. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, so I went with the latter. Now, once you got the idea to start the book, did the whole thing take a long time until you got it actually published? Well, after I got it written, it took me about two and a half months to write. But it took me four years to publish. I didn't have the fundage. I wasn't working at the time. And I was basically saving up, doing what I can to, you know, doing odd jobs. And eventually got it started. So four long years in the making. <laughs> wow. Is this the first time you've ever done that then? Is this the first time you've ever written or published? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm super excited about it. Yeah, you should be. It's a big deal to get something like that done. Charles, what would you say was the most challenging part of the whole thing for you? I didn't run into a few bumpy roads. You know, I had writer's block on certain parts, so I consulted with my wife, and I told her, I'm like, well, this is what's going on. You know, how can we go about work this into it? And so she's she's been a big help into the book as well. After all that time, when you finally got that first physical copy in, Charles, you got to hold it, look at it for the first time. What was that moment like for you? Oh, oh I was ecstatic. Mm. Absolutely ecstatic. And, and there's a story behind that. My son told me that I had a box in the living room. I'm like, okay, I didn't order anything. So I'm like, so what could this be? So I'm like, I took my box cutter from work, and I'm like, oh, and I'm literally cutting this thing open like a surgical incision. <laughs> I'm like, anything could have been in there. I didn't know. So I opened it up, and it was like paper. And I'm like, oh, great. Somebody played a prank on me. Thanks. <laughs> I started pulling out the paper, and then all of a sudden, I saw my book, and just complete joy overcame me. I'm like, oh, it's here. <laughs> it's here. So, yeah, it was. I was super stoked about it. That's awesome. Charles, what are the chances you'd do it again? Do you have plans for maybe a sequel to Gutsy or another kind of book in the future? Actually, I do. I do have a sequel coming. It's in the works. It's in the works. I haven't got it fully written yet, but I'm definitely writing a sequel to it. I wanted to leave it open-ended, you know, about the professor taking revenge. And so I figured, why not? Writing a book and publishing a book for the first time can be quite the learning experience, which I'm sure you're well aware of, Charles. Oh, yeah. So through all that oh, yeah. now, do you have any advice that you could offer for the aspiring authors out there? Always go for your dreams. When if, if somebody says that you can't do something because there's a lot of writers out there and they're trying to make their name, don't listen to them. If you have a dream to become a published author then go for it. It's always been it's always been a dream of mine to become a published author. I just didn't know how about you know how to go about doing it until I actually wrote a paper in college about sharks, you know, how they make shark fin soup and everything and how they kill all these thousands and thousands of sharks for just that shark fin soup and they toss the body in the water and keep the fins itself. Mm. I mean ever since I got that good grade on the paper, I'm like, this is what I want to do. I want to write. So that's when Gutsy started coming about and I got it in the works. I think a lot of people are gonna really be into this book. It's titled Gutsy. It's written by Charles Cluxon and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find this one everywhere, of course, like Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Charles, thank you again for joining me here on the show tonight and telling me all about Gutsy. I had a really nice time chatting with you. Same here. It's good to hear from you. Here at the Reader House Author Roundtable, I'm talking with author Constance Morrow. She's got a new book out in stores right now. It's titled Bible Stories for Young People, Volume 1. We're going to talk all about this. Constance, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me tonight. Sure. 
Can you tell me all about Bible Stories for Young People, Volume 1? In 1984, when I was at our church, our church is Antioch Missionary Baptist Church, we had our Sunday school superintendent, and he would like to give outlines to the students. And one of the outlines that he gave out was his view of Bible stories that all young people should be familiar with. Hmm. And for whatever reason, I liked it. I liked what he had, and I kept it. And so I held it for all those years, and that's what I used to base the selection of stories I used to write the book. This is Bible Stories for Young People. Did you have a specific age range in mind? Well, my initial feeling was that I felt that a competent third grader could handle the book, but the publishing company felt that the book was too advanced for a third grader, so they changed the category to juvenile. And that's, I think, about a preteen age group. Constance, once you decided to get working on the book and then putting it through the publishing process, was that a long time? Well, you know, I started handwriting the book in 2007, and I began typing the stories in 2008. So I've just poked along putting this together. You know, 2007 to today is a long time. (laughs) After all that time, what was it like then when you finally got that finished copy, that first physical work in your hands and got to look at it? Well, it really just made me feel that I had to hurry up and get started on volume two, because if the book gets off the ground, someone may ask, what about volume two? And so it just made me feel that I have to speed up and try to pull volume two together. Do you think volume two will wrap it up for you, or are you thinking more even beyond that? No. You know, I divided the stories from the superintendent's outline into four groups of 14 stories. Hmm. So really, I have to do four volumes of 14 stories each. So I've only completed the first volume. I have not completed the second. I've done a little bit of work on the second volume. But there will be 14 Bible stories within each volume. Do you have a background in this kind of thing, Constance? Have you ever written or published before this? There's a, um, I don't know what kind of organization. I think I submitted some short stories to a local Chicago organization. I don't even recall the name of it, but I've never published a book. So this is the first time I've published a book. Mm. Now that you've published, what's the most rewarding aspect of knowing that, knowing that you've produced this and your work is out there for the world now? Well. I'm hoping that, you know, I hear that young people don't read as much as they previously did. They're using phones and things like that. They're not really reading books. But I'm hoping that maybe some Christian schools or young people who are trying to start their spiritual life, I'm really hoping that they will pick up the book and enjoy it and get what I'm hoping they'll get out of it. So my goal is to try to hopefully reach some of the Christian schools. Mm. Constance, did you have people around you in your life who knew that you were doing this and they could be there to encourage you and support you along the way? Well, (laughs) I only have my husband, but he was supportive in the sense that he's an excellent cook. So Mm, that's important. He always made sure I had, you know, my dinner and just healthy food and just time to be alone and be, you know, freedom. He didn't interfere with what I was trying to do. 
I think a lot of readers are really going to love this book. It's titled Bible Stories for Young People, Volume 1. It's written by Constance Morrow, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can get it everywhere, like Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Constance, it's been really nice chatting with you here tonight. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much. Our Journey to the Stars. This is the new book in Stores Now, written by C.A. Carell, and he's right here with me now. We're going to talk all about it. C.A., welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable. I really appreciate you being here with me. Well, thank you, sir. Absolutely. Can you tell me all about your new book, Our Journey to the Stars? It's a story about young people who uh, discover a uh, alien spacecraft that crashes on Earth, and they take control of it and end up going off into space, into Mars, other planets, all the way past the solar system into, into the stars. Hmm. Sounds like a book for sci-fi fans, is that right? It is for sci-fi fans, yes, sir. C.A., what gave you the idea for this one? Well, I have often, you know, been a sci-fi fan, and I enjoy all of the other space adventures that I have viewed and just put myself in the place of some of them and thought that how exciting it would be to do something like that. And so I just decided to uh, write down on paper what I had often thought about. Mm, so this is the first time you've written and published. Yes, it is. Congratulations. Did this take you a long time to do, both write it and then actually put through the whole publishing process? Yes, sir. It took several years. What did you find to be the most challenging part of the whole thing? Probably the editing part was very troubling, yes. Hmm. And do you think there might be a sequel to this, or do you plan on maybe writing some other books in the future? There is a sequel to this book. It's almost complete and, and ready to start the process of editing. I hope that that will be within the near future. Fantastic. And I do plan on some other books later on. C.A., like you know, a lot of hard work. A lot of time goes into writing a book and then putting it through that publishing process. So when you finally got the first physical copy in of Our Journey to the Stars, what was that moment like for you? Well, that was quite a ordeal. My family enjoyed the thought, and I was pretty thrilled myself about having a book. Mm -hmm. While you were writing this and publishing it, editing it, everything, were there people in your life who knew you were doing this and they were there to kind of back you up and keep you going? Yes. I had neighbors that I would give copies of parts of the, of the writing to to get their feedback. They seemed to enjoy that. Hmm. C.A., what do you do when you would get writer's block? Or maybe you just didn't know where to go with the story next. How do you get through the tough challenges when you write? Well, there were times during the pandemic I had a lot of time on my hand, and sometimes I actually went two or three weeks without writing anything. Hmm. And then I would have a spell where I might write four or five days in a row. What advice would you have now for people who are also just starting out in this? Well, my advice would be to just continue and hope that the process would be complete and to launch out. What's the most rewarding part of being published now, knowing that your work is out there for the world, C.A.? Well, the most part of that would be that people seem to be surprised that you would do something like that at your age. Being uh, 73, they probably thought, well, why didn't you do it earlier? <laughs> <laughs> 
The cover is very important, C.A. Can you tell me about what kind of thought you put into your cover? I think the cover is fairly well done. I thought the uh, art design was quite good, and so it made a pretty cover for the book. While you were writing our journey to the stars, did you have an outline for it? Did you know how it was going to end, or did you start with an idea and just kind of go with it from there? I had an idea and just went from there. I did have an idea where it would end, so I tried to get to that destination. And did you find yourself writing at a specific time, maybe first thing in the morning or last thing at night, or did you find yourself writing whenever you would get the ideas? Most of the time it was at night, late at night. Hmm. I encourage my listeners to check out this book. It's called Our Journey to the Stars. It's written by C.A. Correll and is published by Newman Springs Publishing. Of course, you can find it everywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. C.A., I really appreciate you coming on the show tonight, telling me about our journey to the stars, and I hope we get to talk again sometime. Thank you, sir. We appreciate your time. Seeds of Hidalgo. This is the new book. It's in stores right now, written by Diane Barrera-Turner. And I'm really thrilled that Diane is right here with me now to tell me all about it. Diane, thank you for joining me here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Oh, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Can you tell me what readers can expect in Seeds of Hidalgo? Well, it's about a family that owned a rancho in California during the 1800s. The story begins in 1848 when the American ships arrived in Monterey, California, and when the American flag was raised at that point. And the whole community was kind of frightened. What's going to happen to their land? What's going to happen to them? What does their future look like? And the Pena family is the one that is the focus of my story. And it follows the family history through the expansion of California and its diverse history. Hmm. What kinds of readers do you think would really be into Seeds of Hidalgo, Diane? I think anybody who likes adventure. There's a love story. There's adventure in it. There's a lot of history of California and what happened. It was a very volatile time for California right after the Americans took over California. And as you know, the United States was embroiled in a Mexican-American war that ended just at that time that my novel starts. Mm. Yeah, I understand that California and its rich, rich history is something that's near and dear to your heart. What do you find so attractive about it? Well, I was born and raised there. I was educated there. My grandmother was an immigrant in the 1930s from Mexico. Hmm. But my mother and father were there, and my grandmother used to take me to missions in California and tell me a little bit about the history. And I became enthralled with it. My husband and I lived on our sailboat in Monterey for a year, Hmm. and we then got into the history. It's very interesting what happened to California. You know, then the Wild West, actually. (laughs) But then it, you know, it evolved quickly and and very diverse cultures clashed. You know, it was characters faced a lot of volatile circumstances, love triangles, physical violence, greed, culture classes, race diversity, and the many technical advances that grew California into what you see today. Diane, can you go back and tell me about when you got the spark for this plot and how things developed? Well, the way it developed was, I think, because of our year in Monterey, California, that's where it takes place. My husband and I did a lot of research and things on history, you know, and when I saw what actually happened, some of the things I think people don't even realize, you know, this takes the family through the Civil War, through the gold rush, through a lot of things that were happening. And I think that gave me the idea, wow, this is something I really want to do more research on. And I think I want to write a novel about it. 
I would think that something like that would take you forever to do, Diane. Was this a long process? Two years. What was the most challenging part about the whole thing for you? I think it was the research, because when you write a historical novel, obviously you have to do a lot of research. So when you think of, okay, how did they dress then? What was the means of communication? You know, what was going on at the time? You know, how would they speak? You know, those things, you have to be careful of those things. And you have to, it is harder to write a historical novel because of that. I would imagine in particular, the dialogue would be challenging because they spoke so differently so long ago. They did. And you have to be careful that you don't use, you know, contemporary terms because Mm. it doesn't go. When you're writing, it is harder, but it's a challenge, but it's a lot of fun, too. I enjoyed it. What was that moment like for you, Diane, after all that time you'd been working on it and pretty much seeing the whole thing just on computer screens? When you got that first physical copy in and got to hold it in your hands, what was that moment like? It was like, wow, I did it. (laughs) (laughs) I did it, and and it was good. I mean, holding the book in my hands and looking at it again, I'm constantly second-guessing myself. Could I have done this? Could I have done that? Mm. But ultimately, I'm proud of it. I really am. What are the chances that there'll be another after this? There is one. I already finished the second. It's going to be a trilogy, actually, of the Penn family. My second novel now is finished. It's called The Roots of Hope, and it will be out soon. In fact, the last chapter of my book is a teaser. It is the first chapter of the next book, actually. Mm. Diane, so many people listening to us right now are aspiring authors. They want to write, but maybe aren't published yet. They haven't gone that far in the process. What advice do you have for people who are just starting out in this writing thing? Write every day, write every single day, even write something every day and look around, you know, look at history, look at what's happening presently in the news, you know, get ideas from what you see happening and then get challenged by something and you have to really have your heart in it. But yeah, definitely write every day. I think a lot of people are really going to be into this book. I really encourage everybody listening right now to check this out. It's titled Seeds of Hidalgo. It's written by Diane Barrera-Turner, and it's published by Newman Springs Publishing. Of course, this is available everywhere, such as Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Diane, it's been absolutely wonderful speaking with you here today and learning about your work, and I certainly hope that we get to talk again soon. Thanks for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. Framed. I Never Stood a Chance. That's the new book. It just hit stores. It's written by Joseph Acapinti, and I'm really happy that Joseph is right here with me now to tell me all about it. Joseph, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. You've written quite a story in Framed. I never stood a chance. Can you tell me what readers can expect here? Basically, it's a story, personal story of an injustice. It's a federal agent, a highly decorated federal agent who worked for the Immigration and Naturalization Service. 22 years and highly decorated, 78 commendations and three attorney general awards. And I was the chief of the human trafficking division that investigated terrorism, human trafficking, and also narcotics being committed by criminal aliens. Oh, wow. In 1988, a cop was murdered in New York. I'm asked to be a member of the task force. We were able, along with NYPD detectives, to solve it. And when I learned that the drug cartel was buying up grocery stores, I started a task force called Project Bodega, and it was very successful. But what I didn't realize that the cartel had a political front called the Federation that was able to uh, convince the mayor at the time that we were violating the civil rights 
And as a result, he pressured the Justice Department to prosecute me. And this was in 1991. What made my case unique, it was the first time in American history that any law enforcement officer was criminally prosecuted for civil rights where there was no act of police brutality, racial bias, or corruption. Mm. But what happened was there was a public outrage. And as a result, several investigations and media coverage exposed that. In fact, I was a victim of a drug cartel conspiracy. Mm. And President H.W. Bush, after serving seven months in general prison population, granted me executive clemency. Mm. And in December of 2020, former President Trump not only granted me full and unconditional presidential pardon, but he also apologized for the injustice. Wow. Joseph, what a story you have to tell here. What gave you the idea to write it and tell it to the world? Well, you know, as a federal agent, I I was always keeping a lot of my records and stuff, and I always felt as part of one's legacy, it was important to let my children, my grandchildren know about some of the major cases. The fact I worked five years undercover infiltrating the drug cartel, and also to understand what really happened to me. But more importantly, is to give all the facts in the case to many of my supporters over the years and to demonstrate the importance that international drug cartels have personally basically learned the essence of American politics. They're able to convince corrupt elected officials to insulate themselves from prosecution. More importantly, it sent my case sent a chilling effect to law enforcement because it's common practice for a defense attorney to say that the search and seizure was unlawful. And under the exclusionary rule, usually the judge will either exclude the evidence or dismiss the charge against the defendant. And in my case, they actually put me in jail for a good faith search and seizure. So many agencies have terminated drug interdiction. As a result, you know, we have supposedly have a war on drugs. But how do you do a war on drugs if officers can't rely on warrantless searches during the interdiction process? For example, I mean, we always get warrants, but when you do drug interdiction, it's usually an open view, either consent, and there's other factors that enable you to search without a warrant. I think a lot of readers are really going to love this story. The book is titled Framed, I Never Stood a Chance. It's written by Joseph Acapinti and is published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can get this everywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. It was great chatting with you, Joseph. Thanks again for stopping by the show, telling me about Framed I Never Stood a Chance, and hope we can talk again soon. Sounds like a plan. No problem. You have a great day, sir. We're all called for an assignment. That's what author Dorothy Faye Williams has to say in her new book, A Wife Called for Such a Time as This. Was it a blessing or a curse? Dorothy is sitting right down here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable, and we're going to chat all about it. Dorothy, thank you for joining me here. Thank you. It's really exciting you have this book out now, A Wife Called for Such a Time as This. Can you tell me what readers can expect? Well, something from the past, something from the present, and something for the future. Something for everyday living that without it, many won't survive. Mm. Can you describe briefly the story that you tell? The stories of a young lady or a child born and who God had a plan for from the day she was created as a seed 
and who probably strayed more than once, but yet knew the love of a heavenly father who brought her, put her back online multiple occasions and then called her for a purpose to serve not only to her family, to God, to a church, to a ministry, but he called her to serve in so many ways, even in the military, called her to serve as well. Hmm. Dorothy, where did the idea for this come from? Our church came under attack, but it came, the attack came from within on the pastor who was my husband. And as he was going through this period that God was taking him through, I realized he was taking me through as well. The attack not only came from within the body of Christ, but it came through my family. So I began to pray and ask God what I should do, how I should respond, if I should stay in the marriage, if I should leave, if I should forgive. And he told me to tell them. He would wake me up. Four o'clock in the morning, three o'clock, and he said, tell them this wasn't about you. This wasn't about them. This was about a work I have to do in each of you Mm -hmm. to get your attention. But it wasn't about trying to destroy you or to hurt you. It's just that I have some work, greater work to do, but I got to ensure that people are healed. They learn love. They learn forgiveness so that we can do greater works in helping others. That sounds like a book that would be interesting to more people than just women and wives specifically. Absolutely. It's about love and forgiveness and how much God loves us. It's absolutely. Dorothy, did this take you a long time to write and get published? It took me a long time to actually finish it because I started it in 2017. But as the enemy would have it, he put distractors in my way. No one will read it. No one will buy it. No one wants to hear that. And then he kept me busy in other places. And then finding a publisher took a bit of a time. Well, I had this publisher originally for another book I wrote, a children's book. Mm. But all three books that came to me came to me at the same time in 2017. I was supposed to start with this one, but I started with the children's book. So I had a publisher and they were awesome. But the delay was more on my part because of the distractions. And I knew I began to realize something was trying to tell me to prevent me from doing it. But finally, I got it to paper and I said, "Okay, Lord, I'm doing what you called me to do. No matter what, who reads it, if only one person reads it and there's something that they get from it, I've done what I was supposed to do, what God called me to do. Now, when you finally got that finished copy, that physical copy in and got to hold it for the first time, that must have been quite a moment for you. Oh, just seeing it, even on Google, in my email, just seeing the cover and understanding the cover came from a dream that my mother had before the incident, things became public, my mother had a dream. And so that title in the dream is from my mom. And so I just was blessed. And my mom passed a year ago, so she didn't get to see this one come to publication. Oh, I'm sorry. But even that front cover was inspired by her. So it was like, oh, wow. And, you know, I I used to think books had to be really long. But then I began to realize we all have a story. We all have a book in us. It's more like a testimony. And if shared, there are people that need to hear our testimonies. What are the chances that you'll be writing and seeking more publishing in the future? Well, my other children's book, I've already written it. It's just waiting. It's in the queue. Mm. I don't know about another adult one. Whatever God's will is, whatever he has for me. And sometimes I'm inspired by so many things. And I'm, I'm thinking now, okay, Lord, what is next? What is next? Because after serving in the military for 28 years as well, there's so much to be shared that I think really can help people. Well, Dorothy, I can tell that you certainly have a heart for helping others, and I know a lot of people will be blessed by this book. It's titled, A Wife Called for Such a Time as This. Was it a blessing or a curse? This is written by Dorothy Faye Williams, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can get this everywhere, like at Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Amazon, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores.
Dorothy, it's been wonderful chatting with you here today and learning about your life and about your book. I hope we get to talk again soon. Thank you so much, and thank you awesomely, and I pray that success to all you do for all us writers. Threefold Chord, Creation, Redemption, Dominion. That's the new book. It just hit stores, and it's written by Michael P. Hayes. I'm really happy that Michael is right here with me now to tell me all about it. Michael, welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Corey. It is a pleasure and an honor. Well, it's my pleasure to have you here, Michael. Can you tell me what readers can expect in Threefold Chord? So many people are struggling with what to believe, and so I wanted to give some answers. More than just opinions, but I try to document stuff logically and philosophically and theologically that they are firm things that people can believe. Hmm. Who are you writing this to, Michael? Did you have a target readership in mind? Who's ever interested in, in learning more, becoming established in truth, as well as critics, because I'm hoping to create dialogue. How long of a process was this for you, Michael, from when you first started writing it until it hit store shelves? It's been an easy five years, mm. and I started thinking about it three years before that, and before that, it's been 40 years in development. Wow. Is this the first time you've written a book or been published, Michael? Yes, sir. This is the first time. I had had an article published 20 years ago. It's a huge accomplishment to write a book and publish it. So what was that like when you finally got that first hard copy in? You got to hold it for the first time. I was absolutely thrilled. And at the same time, there's responsibility that I've put out something that people can also hold in their hands. Hmm. So it's very exciting. What are the chances that we'll be seeing more books from you in the future? I've got more. I'm even working on a second edition, but they're smaller, more topical things I can write about. I really like the nonfiction. I want to offer something that will help people. Mm. Michael, we have a lot of people listening to us right now who are authors just starting out. They haven't published yet. Do you have any words of wisdom for them? Well, the first thing is getting started. Mm. Just start getting stuff down, writing it down, making notes, and then build an outline of what you want to say on the big picture. For me, the ideas and the outline sort of grew up together. Mm. Michael, were there people in your life that knew you were doing this, writing a book, getting it published, and they could be there to encourage and maybe motivate you along the way? There were a few people. There weren't very many. My brother had written a book, and so he was had suggestions and ways and kind of some editing things that he contributed. I gave out copies rough drafts to people. So when it kind of got to the place where it was about halfway done, I wanted people to start critiquing what I was doing. Hmm. Michael, as you know, a lot of time and hard work goes into this kind of thing. So what's the most rewarding aspect to you of now being a published author? Probably just that. It's, I've, got, I've put something out there. Since I have no idea what it is to give birth, I, all I can do is imagine that this <laughs> is about the next best thing that it took a long time. Mm. And I've been thinking about it for a very long time. Michael, do you ever get anything like writer's block or you get stumped for ideas when you're writing? And then how do you get through that? You know, this has not been a problem over the last about seven years. I collected 5,000 notes. Mm. So most of them never went in the book. And there hasn't been a 
how to say it sometimes has been how to say what I wanted to say. But as far as content go, there's been no shortage of content. Right, get every note, still travel a lot. And so I have a little note taker. And so I can speak my note. And then when I get to the hotel or whatever, then I can write them down in a notebook and mm. collect those. And there's all kinds of random thoughts. So there's never a shortage for ideas. That's a, That was probably one of the biggest things that helped me is just having thousands of notes to draw from. Well, if you think you're lost in this increasingly chaotic world, then this book just might be for you. It's called Threefold Chord. Creation, Redemption, Dominion. This is written by Michael P. Hayes and is published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find it everywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Michael, it was really great talking with you here tonight. Thank you again for joining me here on the show. Thank you, Corey. Uh, just thank Jesus for every step of the way on this thing. This book challenges readers to dream big. It's titled, When You Look in the Mirror. The author is Rochelle Jones, and I'm really thrilled that Rochelle is right here with me now to tell me all about it. Rochelle, welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable. Thank you for joining me. Hi, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Can you tell me what readers can expect in When You Look in the Mirror? Absolutely. So the book is written to encourage, I say young girls, but really any girl, young lady, woman to recognize all of the positive attributes and characteristics that they carry and that are unique to them, given to them by God, and to really just live those out every time they look in the mirror, remind themselves of who they are in Christ and that they are special and that they are loved and that they have a gift to offer the world and that they should use it to make the world a better place. Well, that's a really fantastic message, Rochelle. What sparked you to write this book? How did you get the idea to sit down, write this, and publish it? So my original copy that I've created was written for my daughter. I have three kids, two girls and a boy, and my middle child is the book, the child that the book was written for. About a year ago, she was talking about all the different things she wanted to be when she grew up, and some of them she would say, well, I can't do that because I'm not a boy, or I can't do that because I don't have this, or I don't have that. And it really struck me that even at that time she was six, almost turning seven, that she had this awareness about her that she may not be able to do things because of the way she sees herself. And so I ended up telling her in that moment that God designed you to do amazing things. So don't let your self-doubt stop you from doing those amazing things. And so I wrote the book for her. I drew the book for her. So the character in the book originally written was, it looks like my middle child. It was light-skinned with light brown hair. And every time you flip the page, the little girl looked exactly the same. And so after I, I gifted to her for her birthday, I shared it on social media and I had a lot of my friends and family tell me that I should look into publishing it. Well, I didn't know the first thing about it. <laughs> and also I had this desire to make it more inclusive, to be more equal across the board. So any little girl who looked at this book could see herself in it. And ultimately I redesigned the pages to include what I call beautifully brown, beautifully black, and beautifully beige colored little girls with all different colored hairstyles so that any little girl who reads it or any woman who reads it can associate themselves with the character in the book and be inspired by that. 
Well, that's wonderful. Rochelle, have you ever done anything like this before? What does your writing background look like? <laughs> I've never, only two books I've ever written are this one. And then I wrote one for my nephew a year ago that's called My Big Red Truck. And I'm actually going through, I just got it approved to take it through the publishing process. So mm. it will be out next year. But other than that, they were spur of the moment. Um, I just felt like I wanted to encourage my, my kids and then my nephew. And I love God. I love Jesus. And I just wanted to spread that in a way that it would hit homes, maybe in broken homes, maybe in homes that aren't what you'd say have a healthy relationship in the house or where parents are, if there's even parents where parents or the adult in the, in the house are encouraging their kids or even homes where they are being encouraged. It's just another way of reading those words to them and letting them see Christ come through those pages into their kids' hearts. And so that was really the inspiration, the original idea, and really just wanting to spread that message as far as I could and as efficiently, I think. So that's what led me to Christian Faith Publishing. Hmm. And I know a lot of readers and young women, young girls, are going to get a lot out of this book. It's titled, When You Look in the Mirror. This is written by Rochelle Jones, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find it everywhere, of course, like Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Rochelle, it's been really nice talking with you here today. Thank you so much for telling me all about your work, and I hope I can talk with you about the next one, too. Thank you. Look forward to talking to you about my next book. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first. 